so appreciate them and all the people that contribute to these services back there in the sound booth, which is a thankless task, but I want you to thank them right now for the great job they do. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, I'll give you one guess what I'm going to talk about today. Fatherhood. Yeah. And for those of you that aren't dads and women among us, um, I want you to know that when you preach the Bible, it, it, it always ministers no matter where you are because it's the living word. So everybody's going to get something out of this today, even though I'm focusing on the dads and on fatherhood because God is all about fatherhood. When we got saved, the spirit of adoption in us looked up and said, Abba, Father. So let's look at a verse right here. One of the great verses on fatherhood in the Proverbs. And here's what it says. Children's children are the crown of old men. Now that's God's way of telling us if you've got grandchildren, you're an old man. I have no grandchildren. Now, read the next part with me. Are you ready? And the glory of children are their fathers. Wow, what a statement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fathers here today. and Thank you that you are our heavenly father. And we pray your blessing on this message today. Help us to get a fresh grip on your fatherhood and on our fatherhood. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God is a good father and you can be seated. Amen. God is a good father. How many of you are so glad that he's your heavenly father? Amen. According to one expert, children go through four stages of dealing with their fathers. In stage one, they call you Dada. Remember those days? In stage two, they grow and call you Daddy. As they mature and reach stage three, they call you Dad. And finally, in stage four, they call you collect. <laughs> Have you noticed that? In all seriousness, I want to look today at fatherhood because fatherhood is a, is a God thing. Fatherhood is a God thing. God gave us fatherhood. So I'm going to talk about the fact that because God gave it to us, because God established fatherhood, then Fatherhood is under attack by the enemy of our soul, and it's manifesting in a culture that has walked away from God. Whenever a culture walks away from God and there is a God vacuum in that culture, that vacuum is quickly filled by the enemy and satanic ideas, satanic thoughts, satanic belief systems. And that's what's happening in our culture right now. We have seen the whole biblical concept of fatherhood replaced with a cultural concept that is crazy and skewed and non-representative of what the Bible says about fatherhood. And then I want to show you the power of a dad. And that's what I'm calling this message today, the power of a dad. Fatherhood was God's idea when he created mankind. He not only gave us the ability to reproduce children... But in reproducing children, then we are also parents of those children, fathers and mothers. Today's not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day, so I'm going to talk about the dads. 
But God established it. God established fatherhood. And then if you read the Bible and you, you begin at creation and you go all the way through the New Testament, you see Jesus come along and Jesus begins to put a face on God, a God who had before then seemed unapproachable. The Old Testament God was kind of a scary God. Furrow browed, always angry at you, it, it seemed. The, the book of Hebrews talks about how he was manifested in thundering and lightning and and you couldn't get too close lest you die. That Old Testament God was not an approachable God. But then Jesus came along and Jesus put a face on God. And one of the ways he put an approachable face on God was by calling him Father. Rarely did you hear anything like that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, suddenly, here's Jesus saying, Father. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, here's how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I think when he began to talk this way, I think at first they didn't get it. They was like, what are you talking about, Father? He's, he's that lightning-throwing, thundering, kind of scary God. No, no, no. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you see the way I love people. You see the way I teach. You see the way I carry myself and comport myself. You see the way I love others. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus was, was the one who really made God approachable and lovable and where you can picture yourself wrapped up in the arms of God as literally as your Father. He taught that our Heavenly Father would care for us, that He would provide for us, that He would watch over us, and that He unconditionally loves us. That's the picture that God was painted as by Jesus. Now, doesn't it make sense that when God establishes something like fatherhood, and Jesus harped and harped on fatherhood, that the enemy would attack that very thing? In case you haven't noticed, America's families are under sustained and concentrated attack by the enemy of our soul. When we kicked God out, the enemy swooped in and he attacked, listen church, he attacked the home. He has worked overtime to distort and pervert God's original plan for mankind, including and especially the home. That's why right now you know your home is under attack. Your marriage is under attack. You and your children are under attack. Your finances are under attack. You are aware that your home is an entity that is under attack. And there's a reason for that. Because the enemy hates anything God has established. And the crowning glory of God's creation was mankind and the family, the home. And the enemy is succeeding. He is succeeding with 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 erasing biblical concepts of the home and replacing them with satanic concepts. If we were to summarize today the current cultural messages that we hear every day comes into our thought processes, into our ears, we hear it in the media, we hear it everywhere. If we were to to summarize the cultural message on the family, it would go something like this. Children, abort them. Marriage, Two men will do. Parents, ah, defy them or divorce them or sue them. Grandparents, listen folks, 
Here it is. Grandparents, euthanasia will ease them out. That's coming with the current health care that was brought in by our government. Guarantee you it's already taking place. Grandparents are expendable. Fathers, unnecessary. Grandchildren, all they want is my assets. They're just waiting for me to die. Children, a pain. Who wants children? Let's have as few as possible. Marriage, we can have sex without it. Who needs a piece of paper? A family? Not with my career. My career is number one. A big family? Oh, we don't do big families at all anymore. Mothers? The daycare will take care of them. I'm busy. Now, do you get the message? These are fiery arrows, belief systems, thoughts, fired and sent into the minds of the American people. And again, I say, when you kick this out, the enemy's lies come rushing in. Guaranteed. Now, I want to be very, very clear at the outset of this message. I want to be sure you understand that because I support fatherhood and the traditional nuclear family, two-parent family, it, it doesn't mean that I put down, disparage, or disapprove of single parents of either gender. As a matter of fact, let me tell you, I assure you, I take my hat off to every single parent in here for the double duty they are having to pull to raise those children. And I honor you today, and I bless you today. I really do. And I want you to understand that. We have many, many, many single parents in our church, and we love every one of them. And I, I respect you for what you're doing, and I know it's not easy. And thank God you've got a helper whose name is Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> now, I know that the majority of single parents, the ones that I know, if they had their choice, they would much rather be married to a loving spouse and raise those children as a couple. I know that. I get that. And, and I'm, I'm fully with you on that. Uh, I'm simply pointing something out that the traditional nuclear family is the ideal family because it was God's original idea. And we can't reject God's original idea. It remains the goal. It remains what we shoot for. And we can't throw it aside to adapt ourselves to a caving culture. Social science studies, and they're always catching up with the Bible, these social scientists and their studies, they're always catching up with what the Bible's already told us. But they've now proved that loving fathers, they have proven this, shazam, that loving fathers provide both security and stability to their children and to their wives. They have discovered that. I wonder how many millions of dollars from the government it took to discover that. I could have told them that. Guess what they have found? When fathers are absent, children and moms suffer. This is why fatherhood is under attack. Men in here, listen carefully to me. Fatherhood is under spiritual attack. Your fatherhood, my fatherhood, the concept of fatherhood in the United States of America is under attack. And Satan always attacks with false ideas, false beliefs, false thoughts. If Satan, who hates God's creation and everything that God established, can destroy fatherhood, he can wreck the home. If he wrecks the home, he can wreck the church. If he can wreck the church, he can wreck the nation. And guess what? Newsflash, he's well on the way to doing that very thing. 
In spite of all the evidence on the importance of at-home fathers, the American culture seems hell-bent on waging a suicidal war against fatherhood, and we're doing that right now. Think about it. Think with me. The media routinely portray men as bungling buffoons. Have you noticed that? Sitcoms or or so-called family viewing shows never, 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 never portray a wise and admirable dad. Never. Name one for me. In my childhood, I'm dating myself here, but in my childhood, the most popular primetime family show was called Gasp. Father Knows Best. Do you know that that title wouldn't even get into the rooms of Hollywood producers today? Oh, no, we can't say Father Knows Best because Father doesn't know best. Father is an idiot. In Father Knows Best, the the lead character, his name was Jim, uh, was a wise, balanced, respected, and loving father. Loved by his children, respected by his wife, respected by the community, made good decisions, was admirable, was honorable. And that's, that's what was shown on television shows in the 50s and 60s. But in one decade, it went from Jim and Father Knows Best to All in the Family, where the dad, Archie Bunker, was portrayed as an ignorant, backward bigot, and the only one who had any sense was a ditzy wife, who even though she was ditzy, made more sense than Archie. And we hardly need to mention today Homer Simpson or the immoral single dads portrayed in Two and a Half Men. The unmistakable message is this, echoing through the halls of American thought and culture are that dads are dull and dated and disposable. And that has come from feminism, which was really never about equal pay for women. It was about the undermining of manhood, fatherhood, and male authority. And I'm sorry if that makes you mad, but it's true. I've got three sisters who are feminists. I know. Consider the resulting devastation in America's homes. Watch this. 30 years ago, about 7 million children, 7 million In the United States, lived in homes without a father 30 years ago with a population at about 300 million. 7 million in fatherless homes. That number has quadrupled in just the last three decades. Tonight, 40% of American children will lay their heads on pillows in homes where their father does not live. 40%, almost half. That's devastation. This is a frightening statistic when you consider the differences between the futures of these children compared to those who live in homes led by two parents. Now, before I read you these stats, I want to clarify something once again. I want to be sure you understand that I don't consider these numbers that I'm about to give to you predictive or prophetic over the Christian home. They don't take into account... The God factor in the homes of Christian single parents whose prayers are heard by God and whose helper is the Lord. 
So I know many, many Christian single parents who are raising their children, and God is their helper, and they're raising them fine. So please don't, don't take these stats as me saying, you better look out, this is going to happen to you. This is predictive because it's not. But they do reveal the reality of the value of a present and accounted for father in the home. Here you go. Almost 75% of children, three out of four, without fathers in the home, will experience poverty before they turn 11 compared to only 20% for families where there are two parents. Violent criminals are overwhelmingly males who grow up in homes without fathers. You go to the gangs. If I could get a gang in here, just any popular gang, and I could ask them one question. Tell me, all of you guys here, answer this question. Are you in a good relationship with your dad, and is he at home? I would be shocked if I had two hands. Because when there is a fatherless home and a missing-in-action dad, those boys go looking for male affirmation elsewhere, and they find it in gangs. 60% of America's rapists. Did you catch that? 72% of adolescent murderers. 70% of long-term prison inmates came from fatherless homes. Why am I reading this? Dad, I want you to see your value. I want you to see your anointing. I want you to see your purpose. I want you to see that you're not expendable. Children living in father-absent homes are more likely to be suspended from school or to drop out, to be treated for an emotional or behavioral problem, to commit suicide as adolescents, or to be victims of child abuse or neglect in fatherless homes. Now, since we know what the culture is saying about fatherhood, we see what it's saying. Dads are expendable. They're stupid. They're dull. They're boring. They're not needed. What does the Bible say about the importance of dads? What does the Bible say about the importance of dads? Are you ready, Dad? Let me give you what the Bible says, because what the Bible says is all I really care about. Amen? Here's the Word of God. These words are God-breathed. It is God telling us His will and His purpose for men and for dads. So here it is. First, dads, you are the glory of your children. It says, the glory of children is their fathers. What a heavy statement. The word glory here is from a Hebrew word that means pride. Here's what it's saying. You are the pride of your kids. Your kids love to be able to brag on you. And that might be a revelation to some of you, but it's the fact. My, my dad's been gone over a decade, and I can tell you, I'll catch myself in a, in a conversation even now, just talking to somebody about my dad, and immediately I'll start bragging. My dad. My dad had a genius IQ. My dad was a member of Mensa, the genius IQ club in America. My dad could take apart a car engine and put it back together without an instruction manual. My dad. The glory of children is their dads. Children love to brag on their dads. One day, three kids were bragging on their dads. The first kid said, my dad's so smart, he can talk one hour on any subject. Second kid said, well, my dad's so smart, he can talk two hours on any subject. 
third kid kind of befuddled, said, well, my dad's so smart. He can talk for three hours and he doesn't even need a subject. (laughs) My dad. You know why kids like to brag on their dads? Here's why. Because they gain their sense of value and confidence and meaning and competence from their dads. I heard one heartbroken man this week who was in his 70s said these words, tears running down his face, believe it or not, said, I never heard my dad say, good hit, or way to catch that ball, or man, you're really a good runner. And I asked myself when I heard him say this, tears running down his face, how in the world does it still matter when you're in your 70s? Here's why. Because every child wants the affirmation of their dad. And it never goes away. Fathers affirm the value of their children like nobody else can. This is why the Old Testament patriarchs are continually seen blessing their children. And we call this the patriarchal blessing. But don't let it fool you. Just because it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doesn't mean that you can't give a patriarchal blessing because patriarchal means father. So you see Abraham blessing Isaac and Isaac blessing Jacob. And Jacob, when he's on his deathbed and he's about to die, he calls all of his sons and all of his grandsons around him and lays hands on every one of them and blesses them, and they want it. I mean, those Old Testament people wanted the blessing of their dad so bad, they would grab the hand and just put it on their forehead. Bless me. Bless me. I want your blessing, and every child longs for this. You know, my dad and myself, we we were estranged for a number of years. We We were separate. We saw each other Christmas and Thanksgiving, and that was it. And My dad acted like that was okay, but I knew it wasn't okay because we just lived 20 minutes apart. So I decided, you know, he's not getting any younger and neither am I. And I don't want him to die without my having known him and without his blessing. So I I, I said to him just bluntly, I want to spend more time with you. So we began to meet where all good things happen, La Madeline. Great food. We began to meet there a couple times a month. And, and we get, began to get to know each other. And, and he was still lost at this time. He didn't know the Lord at this time. And I remember uh, an Easter rolled around. And for Easter, we rented Will Rogers Auditorium for our Easter service. And it was, it was packed. And my dad was up in the balcony. My dad came to the Easter service, and he's up in the balcony. And he's watching all this. And he doesn't know what to make of this. You know, he's this, he's this intellectual guy. Uh, everything is cerebral with him and he's watching all these people all these people get saved and 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 me down there on the stage preaching and 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 when it was all over he made his way wound his way down from from the balcony and and came up to me in the altar and said to me i can't believe all these people came to hear you (laughs) i said here we go and and then then he said, you know, Jeff, when you were born, the sun was rising. And he said, I have always felt that that was going to be a reflection of the meaning of your life, that your life would be like the rising of the sun. This came out of my Mensa dad. And I didn't walk away. 
I floated away. Because you know what that was? That was a patriarchal blessing and affirmation. And he didn't even know the Lord, but it didn't matter because fathers have this power to affirm and to bless their children. Not only are dads blessers of the patriarchal blessing, but they're also supposed to be reflections of the character of God the Father. We, we, we are called to be reflections of God the Father. Now let me tell you a, a fact about your kids and you. Your children unconsciously connect the way you are with the way God is. They do. They make that connection. They, they connect those dots. Because if you're a father, and you, then you go tell your children that there is a father in heaven, and if you come to Jesus, they'll come to know him. They go, Father, Father. They connect dots. And, and, and we are actually, not to be perfect at it, we'll never be perfect at it because we are fallen, flawed people, but we can be sincere at reflecting God the Father. And I'm going to tell you three simple ways we do that, and then I'm going to close. Three simple things about the character of God. There's not a man in here that cannot reflect this. First of all, our Father in heaven is a willing Father. Can you say it with me, willing? He's a willing Father. And you say, what do you mean by willing? He willingly, sacrificially gives to you and to me. He willingly gave His only Son for us. Jesus taught us this about God. He said, I want you to understand that when you come to me by faith, he said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I read this morning that God gives all good things to those who walk uprightly before him. Our God is a willing, giving God. He willingly gives to you and to me, and he gives sacrificially. Now, I have two children who I love very much. Jeremy was here last night. Julia's living in Galveston now uh, on the ocean. But I love my children very much. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. Here's the deal. If I was told today that I had a choice to sacrifice the life of one of them or the life of all of you, I would have to say goodbye. (laughs) I love you. But there is no way I could give the life of one of my children for you or anyone. I couldn't do it. It's beyond my capacity. I simply couldn't bring myself to it. But get this now. That shows the love of God, the willingness of God. Because God so loved the world, He gave. He so loved the world, He couldn't help Himself. He so loved the world that He gave His best. Not leftovers, not second best, but very best. When He gave His only begotten Son, His love went higher, deeper, wider, broader, more profound than anything I have ever known or ever will. But here you go, Dad. Likewise, we fathers should be willing to sacrificially, willingly give anything and everything for the well-being and safety of our children. So can you say with me, willing? He's a willing father. Now, we can reflect that any day of the week. Here's the second one. God is a weeping father. God is a weeping, wailing father. And let me tell you what I mean by that. 
A lot of people picture God up there, furrow-browed, steam coming out of his ears, mad at everybody, just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can step on you like a roach. But let me tell you what the truth is about God. He's just like Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, if, if, if Philip said, show us the Father. He said, what do you mean show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The way I love people, the way I walk, the way I comport myself, the way I heal. Look at me and you've seen the Father. And this Father like Jesus wept over the sins of people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Do you hear in that the weeping, wailing heart of Father God over the sins of his children? He weeps over a broken world. He weeps over our sins. He wails over our waywardness. He weeps over our hard-heartedness. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth. He weeps over a Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting, hell-bent, sinful world. He weeps over it, and we should also, dads, weep over our children when they stray. Weep over our children when they are not where they ought to be in Christ. My, my son, as I said earlier, we went through hell and back with him for about six years. And how many times did I weep over him, prayed over him, interceded over him, stood in his stead and said, Oh, God, stop him, put thorns around him, do anything to shut the doors of wickedness in his life and turn him to you. And God heard those prayers. But if I hadn't wept over him, I would not have been a real dad. He's a weeping father. Never forget it. The last thing I want to say is he's patiently waiting. He's a waiting father. He's a willing father. He's a weeping father, but he's a waiting father. He waits on you and me. You know, in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, this son goes into his dad, and it's a father-son story. This, this son goes into his dad says, you know what? I don't like the house anymore. I don't like you anymore. I want my inheritance, and I want out of here. It's always struck me since Jesus constructed the parable that Jesus showed the Father saying, go, go ahead. You want to leave my house? You want to leave me? Go. Here's your inheritance. Have fun in the far country. I will see you sooner or later because I know payday comes someday. But go ahead. Jesus showed the Father doing that. That's exactly what the Father in heaven does with you and me. If we insist on our own way, he'll say, go ahead. Because there will be payday someday. But you go ahead. Go your own way. So the, father go, uh, the son goes off. And we know what happened. He party hardy. It was fun time. I mean, it was women, wine, song. No accountability. No responsibility. Just doing whatever he wanted. But the money was going. And as soon as the money was gone, all the fair weather friends were gone too. And he was alone. And he found himself working for a cruel man eating pig's food. And we know the story. He came to himself and returned to the Father. But I want to go to the Father here. Because it says that the Father patiently waited for his son to return. Every day he got up longing, pining, looking, yearning for that son to return. He'd scan the horizon. Well, not today. Scan the horizon the next day. but not today. Every day, this patient father went out there. Notice, he never went looking for him in the far country. 
He let him find his own way, but he waited, and he waited patiently. Finally, one day, a little speck on the horizon. It's probably been about a year. It usually takes about a year for the consequences to start rolling in. Probably about a year. Suddenly, a speck on the horizon. Then he sees it getting bigger. He says, I know that gait. I know that walk. I know that stride. I know that's him. Notice he didn't sit there and say, well, he's coming to me, bless God. No. It says as soon as he knew who it was, he ran, grabbed him, fell on his neck, kissed his neck, put shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, a robe on his body, threw a party for his homecoming son. And I see something here. That father patiently waited for the child to find himself. And I want to say to you men, rarely does that child do exactly what you want them to do or become exactly what you thought they would become. We've got to be patient, wait on God, let God work it out, and trust that the seed we sowed in their spirits is good seed, incorruptible seed, powerful seed, irresistible seed, and that when the time comes, that child will return. And when he does, you embrace him, you love him, you don't condemn him, you don't blame him, you just hold him. The Bible says the father is willing, the father is weeping, the father is waiting. Every dad in here can do that. Can we stand together today? Every father and every mother here can do that. Now, I want to close just encouraging just encouraging the single moms in here. Because I know what you're thinking. Well, there's no dad at home, and good grief, what am I going to do? And I'm only one woman. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're a single mom, the Bible says this in Psalm 68, 5. God is a father to the fatherless. So when men fail, God pulls in the slack. And now listen, mom, if he walked out on you, here's what the Bible says. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God loves the fatherless. And then to the single mom, he says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. So when fathers fail, God steps in and becomes the fatherless or the father to the fatherless. And he steps in and says, hey, guess what? You and me, woman, we're married. We're married. Let's pray together, can we? Father, we thank you right now for this anointing on dads. We thank you, Lord, that you are our heavenly Father. Thank you that you're willing. Can you say this with me, church? Say, Lord, thank you you're willing. Thank you you're weeping. And thank you that you waited and are waiting on me. Now, can we just lift our hands to heaven? I want to pray over your home. Lord, I pray for every home represented in this place. Single parents, married folks. Lord, I know that every home, be it single or married, is under attack. And yet I also know, Lord, that you are the Lord over our home. So, Lord, I speak blessing over every home here. Over every couple who are at odds with each other right now. There's been arguing. There's been 
fighting. There's been disagreement. There's been distance. There's been some alienation. I pray, Lord, that you will bring that down and bring restoration and healing. I pray, Lord, for every broken relationship with parents and children, that, Lord, you will bring a divine restoration to those relationships, that we will see it this year. I feel impressed to tell many of you, I want you to expect it. I want you to expect broken relationship with with your children to be healed. I want you to begin to expect that and pray for it, anticipate it, and act on it. It's going to happen. You're going to be restored. Lord, I pray that every marriage succeeds, that every single succeeds, and that everyone in this house glorifies God right where they are. Thank you, Lord, for rebuking the devourer off the minds of our children. Thank you, Lord, for pulling in the slack with them, and thank you for showing your fatherly care to our children. Now I want you to take a minute and say, Lord, today I give you my home. You take a minute. Just talk to him about your home. Just take a moment and do it. God loves your home. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Can we give him a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.